ERM really shines when ERM really focuses on the first letter of ERM, which is enterprise. ERM kind of binds the company together, provides the glue between the different business functions and provides a forum where speaking about risks and concerns and opportunities is not only accepted, but a forum where it's expected and encouraged. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. In this digital age, CIOs and CTOs are being asked to move faster and faster. In fact, businesses overall are moving at an exponential pace compared to just a few years ago. When moving at such a frenetic pace, we don't always stop to ask the question, should we be doing this? Whether it's a go, no-go decision on a project, a more costly go, no-go decision on a merger or acquisition, or even ethical questions of some corporate decisions. As any race car driver will tell you, to drive fast, you need good brakes. As a CTO or a CIO, have you considered your relationship with the enterprise risk manager at your organization? ERM goes well beyond cybersecurity. What about M&A activity? Are you brought in during the dating process or are you an afterthought after the marriage? What is your involvement with investor relations? Does it go beyond a cybersecurity report to the board periodically? Today on Status Go, we're going to be talking with Mike King, the CEO of Daxios, and Johan Neistead, president of Neistead Enterprise Solutions, an expert in enterprise risk, investor relations, and M&A. Together, we're going to unpack these questions and that key relationship that I mentioned and how you need to have that relationship to move your organization forward. With that, gentlemen, welcome to Status Go. Great, Jeff. Glad glad to be here. Thank you very much. All right. Let's start with a little bit about your your background. Mike, I know you have been a guest here on Status Go, uh, gosh, a couple of times in 2023, I think, and maybe back into 2022. But could you share a little bit about your background? And then, uh, uh, Johan, I'll have you share your background as well. You know, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, Mike King from uh, LHP and Daxios. Uh, we're a engineering technology company specializing in everything from embedded systems to digital transformation. Uh, started my career at Boeing a long time ago as the performance analyst for wing manufacturing. Uh, you know, where data was of uh, high priority. Uh, spent about 18 years uh, in every kind of role, manufacturing, uh, finance, uh, supply chain, and then spent about uh, seven or eight years out of here at Cummins, leading their financial systems uh, and their enterprise analytics before moving to the uh, consulting world. Awesome. And I, and I know... Uh... 
uh, in the past, you, you love to say that your job at Boeing was to make sure the rings stay on the airplane. That took on a whole new meaning in the past week or so. It, it does. That's why some of this kind of hits home. I mean, when your job is to make sure that wing stays on. That's right. Uh, or or the board stays on. Yeah. You ask a lot of tough questions, um, but also you better be ready with the data to show it. And so I think, uh, yep. uh, yeah, it's a... <laughs> Good place. Well, we, will, we will dive into that for sure. Not that we're going to unpack any specific <laughs> uh, uh, business uh, businesses today, but we're going to talk in general about that. Now, Johan, I know your background. We went through that uh, when you and I first met uh, the other day, uh, and an incredible background. Could you share just a, a, a high level, a little bit about your background and how you came to, to be doing what you're doing these days? Would be happy to do so. So my name is Johan Neister, and back in uh, 2022, I founded a consulting business called Neister Enterprise Solutions uh, that really focuses in on what we call enterprise risk management, uh, which essentially is what it says. It's it's really risk management, but for the enterprise as a whole. So we focus on the very very top priorities and top risks facing an organization. Prior to that, I worked uh, in different capacities, such as being the chief risk officer, M&A head, uh, investor relations, uh, or, or treasury at companies such as R. Donnelly in Chicago, Levi Strauss in San Francisco, Conagra Brands in Chicago, uh, Kraft, Mondelez, and Altria in New York. So some big brands, some really big brands, uh, you know, especially, you know, Levi Strauss with the football playoffs uh, underway. We're going to be hearing that name uh, uh, quite a bit since they put their name on that stadium out there. Well, Mike, you and I were chatting the other day and and you brought this uh, this idea for this conversation uh, up with me. And, and I thought our listeners would really benefit from talking about these concepts, these relationships, but could you talk just a little bit, set the context for us. What's the yeah. need to be thinking about this? Well, you know, it seems like every day, every week, we, we see a company announcement, something bad happened, right? Just uh, whether it's, a, you know, one of those robo-taxis in, in San Francisco, you know, you know, kind of uh, running over somebody or, you know, this last week, you know, we had announcements from both Cummins and Boeing on, just really some really bad news. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is not to litigate or armchair quarterback kind of a situation. But when in these great companies, you know, I start thinking about, you know, engineers just don't go rogue, right? It just doesn't happen. Um, and so what's going on inside the company? And then, but more importantly, back to what you and I talk a lot about is, this isn't just an engineering issue or a technical, it's also a, a people. So I'm like thinking, you know, where is internal audit? Where is the CTO in this thing? Where is the CIO? You know, and just, um, and is it, a, is it just that they're trying to push the envelope on technology or is there something else there? And so that kind of got me thinking. And, and as I started thinking about who I want to talk to, first thing I reached out to Johan, because he and I talk a lot about, you know, the role of ERM and digital transformation, how it's kind of two sides of the same coin. How do we use data to get visibility to 
with corporate leadership. How does corporate leadership have, you know, uh, your line of sight? Are they managing the risk? Do they have the right data? That type of stuff. And then our conversations, Jeff, about the emerging role of the CIO, CTO, this convergence and expectation. And CIOs are no longer back office. They are a critical path now and part of some big decision making. So that kind of got it going. And it's really, you know, in all the headlines, this is a great opportunity, kind of a lesson learned, unpack. And, and with you guys, with your experience, you've seen it from different angles. That would make a good topic for the status go audience in particular, who's kind of living this on it every day, is kind of talk about things and, and uh, yeah. really uh, uh, get people thinking about it. Well, Johan, I want to I want to bring you in on this because I, a lot of our listeners are chief information officers, chief technology officers. You know, they're running they're they're running the IT systems in a lot of uh, in a lot of cases. Where does their role uh, intersect with the enterprise risk management? Or uh, I know you've done investor relations and M and A, kind of at the high level. Where 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 does that intersection begin? Yeah, well, it, it's very all-encompassing, especially nowadays. Uh, not only is technology and, uh, and uh, information technology uh, mission critical, I think, at most, if not all companies, but also increasingly, when you look at investors and investor relations, uh, the information technology strategy of a company really helps determine the value of a business. So it's not only that it is a a passive function, it's also very much a value enhancing function. And that needs to be communicated to the investment community if we are trying to enable full value creation uh, of a business, right? I mean, take, for example, a public company. If you want the share price to reflect your, your strategy that nowadays probably always includes a technology strategy behind it, then to kind of unlock and unleash that value, it needs to be clearly communicated. The, the dirty little secret is, I think, that sometimes a lot of leadership within a company are not fully averse uh, um, uh, and conversant on what that strategy is. So I think it's imperative for technology and chief technology officers, CIOs, to be well connected with uh, investor relations and, and the overall leadership team in order for us to be able to, com- to communicate these important strategies. And that's really where enterprise risk management can come in to kind of help bring the right people together to speak about not only risks, but also about opportunities that oftentimes obviously reflect what's going on in IT. Well, I, I loved your line the other day so much, and I, I stole it from my introduction. Uh, in order to drive fast, you have to have good brakes, uh, and, and I think we forget that a lot in in uh, in business. And and Mike, I think you said this uh, perhaps the other day when we were chatting. Uh, the sometimes the culture is. Uh, lean in, and what does exactly does lean in mean? Does it mean go with a, with the majority, or are you free to speak your voice? How do you, you're a CEO? How do how do you make sure 
that everybody has a voice and everybody, even if it's the dissenting voice, uh, is heard. And that's a, that's probably the toughest thing. I mean, you know, because we're all now competing on data. We're competing on new technology. You know, we're trying to create what doesn't exist and and go fast and, and really uh, lead that charge. The challenge, and I think we talked about it, is, you know, and again, you look back at some of these, uh, you know, pretty uh, spectacular failures we're reading about. Mm-hmm. Is where was the dissenting voice? Um, you know, if the the math doesn't get better by sharpening your pencils, I mean, is it real data? And and so you know, you know, I know what I do, but also what we help other companies do and throughout their career is. You know, we have that airplane has to fly. You know that that it has to work. It, it just can't throw it out there because the date says, or because you know we got a schedule on the calendar or whatever. And so what I try to do is make sure that I have the dissenting voice because I'm very much, you know, get to the the finish line as fast as I can. I need the pessimists around me. I need you know the folks that can again bring the brakes if I can't. And then empower them. You put the brakes on when I won't, kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of what we were talking about: is these things don't happen in a vacuum in a company. You know, someone. And so, is it what's keeping that voice from being heard? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, even if you're the best at it, you succeed every day. You're always worried about: Am I getting the right data? Am I seeing it? Am I rounding everything to the positive versus really slowing down and kind of defending the, uh, you know, the, the negative side. Yeah. And, and so, Johan, from, from your perspective, you've served in, in these roles in multiple organizations. How does a, how does a CIO or a CTO begin to build a relationship with uh, those in enterprise risk. I know I, I for one, have worked in, uh, I don't know, a half dozen organizations throughout my career from uh, 60,000 employee global organization to an organization of 50. Uh, in, uh, um, in that large organization, I couldn't even have told you who was in charge of ERM. So how do, how do I begin to build that relationship? Yeah, so when ERM really shines is when ERM, Enterprise Risk Management, really focuses on the first letter of ERM, which is enterprise. It is something that we do not do a vacuum. Michael mentioned, talked a little bit about earlier about, you know, how do you get the voice heard in a vacuum? You know, you don't get the voice heard in a vacuum if the approach to business strategy is siloed. That is what where ERM comes in. ERM kind of binds the company together, provides the glue between the different business functions and provides a forum where speaking about risks and concerns and opportunities is not only accepted, but a forum where it's expected and encouraged. So when you get the right people together from different disciplines, preferably from different walks of lives with different perspectives, 
and you provide a forum where it's encouraged to put out the elephant in the room, to speak about yeah. risks the way we see them, that's when you put the type of brakes on that car that makes it no longer reckless to have a strong engine and use it, but actually something that can drive business returns. So, so Mike, at, at your organization, uh, where do you have an ERM function, or is it? I, I don't. I, I'm not exactly sure the size of your company, but I think it's fairly small. Yep. Uh, do you have an ERM function, or do multiple people wear that hat? We don't have a formally, you know, in terms of a role. Our chief operating officer plays that. Okay. Um, and we, again, because we're dealing with, you know, other companies' engineering or their data, you know, we have uh, standards that we must adhere to, uh, but also are open to audits from our customers. Uh, and I think that's part of the gig is that trust, that risk management. A lot of times we're being hired by companies to be that voice in the room of, of not what do you want to hear, Here's what you need to hear. Here's what's going to get you fired that you don't know. Yeah. As well as, and, and uh, uh, Johan and I talk a lot about this this need for data. You know, these these technology decisions are now being made at the C-suite level. Many of them are not engineers, so a lot of our efforts are around how do we get them the data they need, unfiltered but structured, so that they are making wise decisions. They do have line of sight. Yeah. So this is oftentimes what we talk to companies about is, you know, embedded software is a risk to your company if you don't know what you're doing. Right, right. Um, or if you don't think about it, you know, as a, as a one large architecture, how does it all come together? Because it's those gaps. It's the speeds and feeds of the organization that oftentimes create these misses. And without that ability to see top down, bottom up, these things are going to just keep keep happening. You're going to have a hole in the side of your airplane, you know, yeah. on, on the next day of work kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's why we kind of reached out to you for this this uh, podcast is this could happen to anybody. It isn't just because, you know, they're an airplane company or this or that. Yeah. Every one of us is going to walk into our job and something like this could happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then it's like, so what do you do? What do you look at? How do you learn from it? What do you need to be putting in place or strengthening to ensure that you are getting as good of a picture as you can? Johan, when you when you engage with a company, what are what are some of the telltale signs that you look for that tell you eh, we're not quite there on building this culture? What what things are you looking for? Yeah, uh, two things uh, that come to mind. Um, so enterprise risk management, uh, unfortunately, oftentimes is an exercise in enterprise list management instead of <laughs> risk management. Somebody walks in, in the, in the boot, uh, in, into the boardroom and speaks to the board about here are the, you know, 200 risks that we are facing. Uh, and yet there has no depth surrounding those risks because how can you possibly have any depth if it's 200 of them, right? So, so yeah. that would be a telltale sign. When you don't prioritize, when you don't boil down the risks enough to be very clear-eyed about what are the risks that are big enough 
and uh, and 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 uh, important enough uh, that can happen with some type of level of likelihood that is probable enough to really put this on our radar screen, uh, and and then not only just to identify these risks, the, these top risks, but to really do something about them to create clear risk management action plans with clear deliverables and holding people accountable for those deliverables to make sure that we action into the direction that we are trying to take as a business. In my world, risk is not really a four letter word in that it's not necessarily a bad thing, no risk, no return, right? But let's be risk smart and risk aware instead of risk ignorant or, or risk averse. I think that's really what kind of uh, the, the new level of enterprise risk management, the new discipline tries to put in place is to go from a enterprise list management to real risk management and B to, to make risk be something that is not necessarily inherently bad. We need some risk because otherwise last time I checked, we won't have any return, but let's make sure that we embrace the types of risks that provide high risk adjusted returns yeah. and try to stay away or mitigate risks that are uh, just not compensated. So it, it's taking educated risks, is that where you really unpack them and you understand the risk, not blindly uh, going full speed ahead. It's like, yes, we see that risk. We understand it. We've dissected it. Now we're going to move forward. Am, am I getting that right? Yeah. Uh, for forward companies nowadays, risk management is really about risk portfolio management, where we say these are the risks that are really, or, or initiatives, right? The risk and initiative, same thing. Every initiative uh, like an M&A initiative, a restructuring initi initiative, whatever decisions we make are always going to involve some risks. And recognizing that, let's try to make the risks that really matter, the, the risks that are core to our business, and also uh, clearly identify what is not core to our business, maybe core to somebody else. Like, you know, for example, just take a financial risk, like a currency risk. Well, for most industrial companies, currency risk taking may not be core to their business. It's just an annoyance or a nuisance. It's a noise that needs to be explained to investors when it goes against our interest. So oftentimes these type of risks that are not core to us, but core to somebody else can be mitigated or hedged or sold off. Yep. So let's make sure that we mitigate risks we don't need or we don't want to free up spare capacity for risk for us to take the type of strategic initiatives that we're seeking. One of the things that we, we talked on the other day and we, we've touched on it here a little bit is one area uh, where risk really uh, comes to the forefront is in M&A. Uh, uh, merger and acquisition uh, activity within a company because you're really bringing two cultures together, right? And 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 that and a lot of times I, I know from my experience uh, being a part of several uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions over the years, uh, 
uh, as the head of IT, I was usually brought in at, at the very least, the LOI has been signed, right? Uh, and, and it's might have it might have even gone further than that. There may have actually been an announcement. And it's now it's like, okay, can you figure out what we just bought? Uh, you know, let, let's go look at their IT systems and how are you gonna how are we gonna bring them together? It's it's after the fact. How do you bring this um, this culture, this knowledge of risk? to the M&A world, the, the M&A space, and make sure that all of the disciplines, yes, IT, but also HR and all the rest of them are brought in at the beginning. How do you, how do you counsel uh, your clients to do that, Johan? Yeah, I mean, the cost of, of, of managing M&A in the old-fashioned siloed type of approach is just too high nowadays. I mean, technology can no longer be an afterthought. Technology uh, and, and other disciplines as well, supply chain, for example, are so key to most businesses that they cannot be ignored. And in fact, in M&A, especially when you are uh, pursuing some type of auction process, right, where you compete with other companies in trying to win, have the winning bid for an acquisition, which kind of means you're going to push the envelope a lot, uh, you know, a, a bit. Uh, you know, especially in these type of situations where everybody is trying to push the envelope to win, you really have to be careful about the potential for the winner's curse, which is that you either overpaid and or are not able to kind of deliver upon the synergies that you that that you essentially assumed as part and parcel of the acquisition itself. So when it comes to, to technology, for example, CIOs and CTOs are very much impacted by M&A, right? Because now you go from an environment that you probably know something about your own business to now have to fold in uh, mm -hmm. over time, at least, this new business. And unless you know what you're faced with and what that business look, looks like, and you have some type of understanding from the due diligence process, uh, or you were involved early enough, you could kind of try to figure out what this is all about. Unless you have that, how would you possibly know the cost it's going to take to integrate this business you just acquired? Well, and, and you know, when when you when you think about that, a lot of times, maybe not all the time, but I, I at least the ones I've been involved in, um, the financial uh, motivation for the acquisition is the combination of those back end systems, the integration of them, and the replacement of them. Uh, it's a key part of making the numbers work. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, sometimes we make the numbers work by putting the assumptions in that make the numbers work. So that is one of the things I'm counseling my clients. Try not to, to, to build the assumptions into what do we have to believe to make this work. Let's look at, you know, what do we really think? And, and is the purchase price worth it after we reflect upon those risks? Mike, I know uh, uh, you hang out with a bunch of us IT geeks a lot, uh, <laughs> the CIOs and the, and the CTOs. 
um, I, I can I can kind of picture uh, a couple of the folks that, that you and I both mutually know saying, hey, you know, Mike, this is all great. But if I went to my ERM guy or if I went to my M&A uh, woman that was in charge of M&A or I did this, I, th- they'd look at me like I have three heads. <laughs> Right. Because all of a sudden, what's the IT guy doing in my office? Wandering in the wrong hall. Yeah. yeah. What, what message do you have for them in in this conversation? Well, I think part of it is, you know, there's a discipline here, whether especially for doing mergers and acquisitions or whatever, um, that the IT team, CIO's organization are experts at. Right. Just, you know, unpacking it. Here's what we got to do. And again, the CIO deals with a mess internally already, right? So that's, it's, 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 and so working together is how do we turn this into much more routine activity um, so we can go in, do the assessments, do the, build the plan, turn it into just your normal kind of IT onboarding, I think is one. The second, I think is probably the bigger is do they have enough data? Does the M&A team, the ERM team, the corporate team, do they have the data they really need to make these decisions well? Yeah. And, and again, you think about what's happening in, you know, Boeing and Cummins and other companies today after they're dealing with this mess, you know, they're going to get some data yeah. <laughs> and the lawyer is going to get it. So it's like, how do we help them get the data before? Right. How do we make it easier? What do they really need? Uh, how do we help them see what's going on during the transition? So again, they can be our advocates or, the relationship to the board, right? Really making sure that's squared away before we go in, um, just like you would any other business partner uh, of the CIO. Because end of the day, that's you know this is about visibility. Yeah. You know, you're going to have bad news. Great. Can you see it? Do you all? Are you all looking at the same data? So then, who's got the dot? What do we do? Right. Turn it into a you know just just a normal day at the office. Versus getting blindsided, you know, where did that thing come from? I think is the biggest thing. And then the third one is, you know, the CIO organization is probably one of those teams that has probably more boots on the ground, right? Covers more of the company than a ERM ever would. And so do they have the organization internally that helps them see what's going on or that's open for, the contrarian to come in and say, you know, this, this doesn't look so good. Or, um, and that at the end of the day, the CIO is a risk manager, right? You're making sure your compute, your network, your operations, you know, aren't vulnerable. And so the CIO has to champion that risk voice, uh, champion those folks that are kind of coming up saying, this doesn't feel right, you know, what do I do? Where do I go? Uh, and make sure that, you know, they are bringing that up upstairs yeah. and just making sure, hey, you know, we got to make the call, but make sure here are the risks. Here's the issues. Right. You know, here's what our plan is to get there and making sure that's all bringing forward. And again, what they'll find, what I've found, just like reaching out to yourself and Johan is those ERM folks, they're looking for advocates. They're looking for partners. Yeah, yeah. Right? They don't have the, the it's, you know, half a dozen folks at most on a good day. You know, they need the help of the CIO. And so oftentimes, they are two folks that are 
joined to the hip already and need to be even closer. Yeah. Yeah. Johan, do you, do you see that as well? That, that in, uh, uh, in most organizations, the, the person responsible for ERM feels kind of lonely because they don't have, uh, those, the, the other members of the C-suite, uh, uh, coming to them or or building those relationships or you feel like that lone wolf a lot of times? Yeah, I think it's a very lonely place to be the enterprise risk management head that is engaged in all this uh, confidential innovation. You know, best of thoughts may be great, but it doesn't really matter much unless the E in ERM is widely understood, right? This is an enterprise approach to risks and opportunities. That is the opposite of a siloed approach to risk yeah. and opportunities. As far as I can tell, it's impossible to measure enterprise-wide risks if risks are entirely managed in silos. So if ERM per, by itself is yet another silo, then I'm not sure that the E is very satisfied in ERM, right? Because for it to really work at its best, for it to flourish, for it to be effective, you know, it really needs to be an enterprise-wide type of discipline. Uh, you know, what I've seen work pretty well is that when you try to build crisis muscle memory by maybe having kind of mock sessions, mock drills before the disaster even, even happens, Reality is disasters are going to hit us from time to time. Some surprises are truly unpredictable. Some are predictable. Some are truly unpredictable. So what do you do? Well, if it's a predictable surprise, you can start to prepare and you try. You can try to have certain buffers in place, etc. But when you have something really unpredictable happen, you know, it's always kind of nice to fall back on training. One of the things I've seen work out really well is, you know, um, mock drills. You kind of assume something happens and see how the management acts so that the management can fall back on that drill later on to not to have to reinvent crisis initiative taking in a vacuum and all of a sudden all the pressure is on. Another thing I've seen in M&A, we spoke about M&A a little bit, is when you have like A and B teams. You have one team that's supposed to be favoring an acquisition or a divestiture, and then you have the other team actively kind of being the devil's advocate. That tends to un to, to, to unveil some important insights sometimes. I, I, I like the, the idea of the simulations uh, because the, the, the IT leaders that are out there listening to us are used to those. We do those with disaster recovery tests, uh, maybe even some uh, information security, uh, cybersecurity tests. So we're used to doing those tabletop exercises. I love expanding that into more, call them business issues, uh, business questions, and the A and B team is a great way to do that. Well, we, we've come to my favorite time in the program, guys, which is... Uh, uh, when I ask you for some actions that our listeners can do. So, uh, Johan, I'm going to start with you. What are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? Yeah, I think the realization, uh, if we can just take that additional step 
of migrating from enterprise and list management to enterprise risk management, where we don't only identify and prioritize the risks, but actually put in, pl put in place plans to do something about it, and then to communicate it out to both internal and external stakeholders. I think we are creating both brakes and a better engine in the vehicle we're trying to drive. I, I love that. And I, I love the, the go from enterprise list management to enterprise risk management, because so many times you're right, it's just a list. Mike, how about you? What are one or two things our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Well, I think first off with their own teams, I think is a good time to have this kind of a conversation, particularly around things like go, no-go decisions. Do we really have, do we really allow no-goes or is it go or go again, right? Um, and making sure, <laughs> that, go faster. <laughs> making sure that as a leadership team, you know, a technical team that we're, giving our teams the space and respect and expectation that there, you know, there are no goes and there are goes and, and making sure even a high performing organization can always get better. And so having this kind of a conversation, um, I think is uh, probably the easiest and most effective thing. The second is back upstairs on the leadership team. You know, we have these critical initiatives we're leading. Do they really have the line of sight the data they need at the speed that they need to ensure that they can make, I mean, you know, good decisions. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and again, are they just leaning to the high side or are they looking at alternatives? So really looking at that data aspect and what can we do to make it better? Yeah. Uh, you don't want to show up with go to work today and have a hole on the side of your airplane or whatever your airplane needs to be before yeah. you start saying, Hey, we could probably use some more data to help us understand, or we just crashed and burned on another merger because we just went for it because no one really no stood one up and said no. Yeah. And I think by doing those, and again, we use the, what we would call that enterprise list management was the list of future excuses. <laughs> you know, all the reasons why we could and couldn't uh, make plan. Uh, but if those are going to mean anything, yeah, right? The organization needs to be behind it the leadership team needs to own it and you got to have the data top to bottom to be able to deliver it. And that's, that's the job. I, I love all those actions because I think those are all things that we can start uh, taking those steps tomorrow on. I, I think it's very actionable. Johan, Mike, thank you so much for spending time with us today and having this conversation uh, here on status go. I really appreciate you carving out the time. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks Johan. Thank you, Michael. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Mike King and Johan Neistad. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.